Payments don't pay. I'm still making money, baby. Well, you're a smart guy. You're doing exactly what I did. I mean, you know, that's the benefit. You rent to Section 8, and you, you work with agencies and help low-income people and, and play with the program, and it pays off because you got security. You got the government backing you up, you know, guaranteeing you they, they're going to uh, pay you that money. So I'm glad. I'm happy for you. I wish I was in your shoes because I'm not in those shoes. Shagad M, thanks for the $5. Hey, Ben, thanks for... For your insights, when do you think the real estate market will crash and when will be a good time to buy? You know, right now we're in uncharted waters. You know, everybody's holding on, but I'm telling you now, and everybody's got a prediction. And, and half the time, people predict the right thing. Why? Because you're either right or you're wrong. You got a 50% chance. It's like going, it's like when my wife goes to the roulette table. You know, she either plays the black or the red. Why? Because she knows she's got a 50-50 chance of winning. You know? So, um, you know, I'm predicting we don't know what the hell's going on now. The government's really pumped up the economy to keep it going. But I think it's inevitable. The banks aren't getting the money they need on their mortgages. Landlords aren't collecting rents right now. And, and you can't even blame the companies not paying them because they're not making no money. The movie theaters are suffering. The restaurants are suffering. The hotels are empty. You know, gyms are empty. And then, you know, they suffer. The landlord suffers. Everybody's suffering. Uh, I think that there's plenty of people, I'm one of them, ready to cash out. So, like I said, I'm putting properties on the market right now for mega millions Less than I thought they were worth and what I would have took before this shit started. So now's a great time to go out and look for bargains. Okay? It's always a good time to look for bargains. But now, there's a lot of scared people out there. They just don't want to tell nobody they're scared. But I would be out there lowballing stuff. Because like I said, you know, you put some money in front of somebody. These days, they're going to think twice. The stock market's going up. The stock market's going down. It's like a brand new boat. I had a wax and everything. Everything's working. The air conditioning's working. The generator's working. It'll cruise at 40 miles an hour. It's got two sleeping compartments. It's got a refrigerator. It's got a microwave. You can take a shower and use the bathroom in it. What the hell else do you want? All under 27, 8 feet. Made by formula. Come on, 30 grand, come on down to Clearwater, and let's make a deal. What else you got? Andres Estronza, thanks for the $5. I submitted an Ask Ben question. Looking for a tenant help on Force Major. I mean, Major. Force Major? Major claim. Force majeure. Is that somebody looked that up? Is that some friggin' French word they came up with? Fuck you, force majeure. Force majeure, from my understanding, means that it was, uh, you know, the government or somebody major came in like a war, or government or something, shut you down. I'm trying to fight that honestly with my tenants, saying, listen, you know, it ain't force majeure. A virus doesn't classify for that. And let's make a deal, okay? I'm making deals, all right? So it's best to make a deal. If the tenant's trying to pull that, say, listen, it's, they ain't got no legal. My lawyers say they got no legal way to stand on it. If that was the case, there'd be a million lawsuits, billions of lawsuits. It's not fair to say that. 
It's best that we all buckle down together. Let's make a deal. What's fair to everybody? How much can you afford to pay? Let's put it on the back end. I've even given away some rent to some big shot clients. They squeezed me, you know, where I had to abate some rent. You know, it depends on the situation. It depends on the type of business they're in. You know, what's fair is fair. You know, but everybody needs to be fair with each other under these circumstances right now. You know, but force majeure means they ain't paying your shit. And they're out of here. I think it means they have to leave, too. So be careful. If they're trying to stay and claim it, I don't think that works. That's just the force majeure is when you have to leave the premises. So what else you got? That's all for tonight. That's all the super That's it. All right. Good night. Good luck. And take care. Be safe. And uh, keep looking for real estate. Bye. Adios, amigo. So I can figure out their systems. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about the information. I wanted to know their systems. How was they teaching? What, how did the professor break? Like, what was type of questions the professor was asking? What was the curriculum? Like, how did they break their stuff down? And I took everything that I felt was the best from that situation, and I implemented it into my online business school. And they teach based on case studies. So I took that element and I added that element to my business school. They have professors, but I'm a strong believer in you can only take me as far as you got yourself. So how are you going to teach me how to have a million dollar business if you never had a million dollar business? If I want to get to a hundred million dollars, how are you going to teach me how to get there if you've never been there yourself? Mentors are the GPS to success. That's how you're going to get there in a record-breaking time. They're going to talk to you and tell you what moves to make, how to get there the quickest. So when I realized that, I said, okay, I'm going to replace the professors and I'm going to add millionaire mentors. Mm. People that's already where you want to be at in life based on the skill set. So not putting somebody in there to talk about all topics. Only talk about the topics that you're proficient at. So if you're proficient at sales and you did $40 million in sales, come here. Come sit in the seat. I need you to teach my students. You do marketing or you you spend a a million dollars in a month? Okay. Come sit down, teach my students how to do Facebook and Instagram ads. Are you a leader? Okay, I mean, people you lead. Oh, two, you lead 2,000 people and they're gone, gun ho about you. All right, come on. I need you to teach my students how to do leadership and so on and so forth. And that's how I built the academy. So you're learning from real life people who are killing it right now. Not the, I'm going to get this information. I ain't going to tell nobody this. You know those people. I ain't going to tell nobody this. Ain't nobody going to know about this. And they keep it to themselves, And that's what keep us back because we get the information and we get told the game is to be sold, not told. Don't introduce them to the plug. When I go with Kit, Katie and Mary and them, they introducing me to every goddamn yeah. body. <laughs> so just implementing what I've learned from that and put accountability into it. Giving them their own mastermind groups where they meet once a month. They talk about their issues, personal Business, 
have a sounding board, giving them uh, a way to uh, have micro micro goals instead of massive goals. Because in life, you got to have micro goals so you have micro celebrations until you get to that goal. But we demotivate it until we get to that main goal because we didn't get to it yet. So we get turned off. But if you got little micro goals, you're getting celebrations and you got the morale still up until you get to the big goal. Mm -hmm. So I I put that into the school also. So not only you got the accountability, I make everybody get accountability partners. Second thing is making sure they know how to execute on their tasks. Call it the power list. This is fire, bro. This is crazy. And then, <laughs> funny man. And then you have the millionaire mentors, and then we have we give everybody we 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 dedicate everybody to a, a main person. So if they have questions, they can get unstuck. Because a lot of people give up because they're just stuck and they got questions and they ain't got nobody to talk to. So as soon as you get into the program, you do your orientation. Just like a college, just like this is a university. Uh, orientation. We're going to map out how we do things. What's our core values? How we rock around here? How we support each other? So if somebody falls down at the finish line, you dusting them off and say, come on, let's go. We got this. They give you a problem, you shoot them back a solution. No judge zone, and we build a community, right? And then you have that. And then after that, you get a welcome call. We welcome you. Welcome to the family. Let me know you need anything. I'm your designated contact. We rock with you. Wow. Q&As twice a week. Whatever questions you got, we had to answer them for you. Amazing. We ain't leaving until you ready. And then I jump on and I do a set. I meet all my students. Talk to my students. We talk. Our conversation. Mm. I want to know about you. What's going on? Why did you purchase the program? All right, what's going through your mind? How can I help you? What are your challenges? And really know and understand who I'm marketing to so I can know exactly how to deliver the best product to them. And on that note, they can text my number, 786-661-1224. Text me the hashtag masterclass and just text me masterclass. Is there anything we could just like special for our listeners? Okay. Matter of fact, don't text that number. All right. <laughs> we'll, we got we'll, some. We'll, so just click the link below. Okay. It'll be in the bio um, or, or it'll be in the caption. I just want to be able to do something special for the listeners, man. Because, I mean, they've been studying at your feet for the last almost hour and a half. And, I mean, you're really, really dropping gems. And I just want to know, you know, if, if there's something that we could do. I don't know, but. Click the link. You know, if there's something that we can do, it will be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A little link somewhere. Yeah, a little link somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Love you, Speck. All right. um, Okay. So how many people are in the university? 7,000. Got 7,000 people? Well, Harvard before Harvard became Harvard. Self-education is key. Which means this thing works. Oh, you don't get seven thousand people in a for sure it works. 
for sure. Guys, and what's up, Aaron? Keep doing your thing, dude. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you very much. What do you do? I will. What do you do? Closing his first deal in two weeks. Congratulations. I hope you make money on it. Good deal. Good deal. You should be ringing the bell. Whenever somebody closes the deal, we should have the bell to ring or get me the rubber chicken. Chucky, where's your chicken? All right. What else you got? Anything else? Anybody else? Heath Sims. Thanks for the $5. Ben, you ever heard of salad? Salad? Yeah, I know all about salad. It comes right before you. you get a meal. Salad is what you enjoy on your way to the big steak, baby. I love salad, but not too much. You know, it's just to get you started, get your stomach going, because something good's getting ready to come. So you just give it that little teaser with the salad. All right? What else? Softla Ben, 10. Thanks for the $5. What do you know about collecting rents and putting in a sweep account and making interest off of it? The OG property manager was telling me about this. All right. A sweep account is, it's really in banking. It has to do with banking. You put the money in account. The bank sweeps it out. Some banker comes with a broom and a dustpan, sweeps up your money, and he goes, puts it somewhere else where he claims he's making more money because he's invested in something that's paying more money, and then he gives you a piece of that action. I believe that's the way it works. They sweep the money out. They put it in a can and somewhere where it's making more money with the other money that the bank has, and then they split the profit with you. So you get a little more interest than you would just sitting in their account doing nothing. That's my opinion. Verify it with a banker, but it's very common on any kind of operating accounts to have a sweep account come in and sweep up. That's what the goddamn banks do. They like to clean up, clean up your money. What else you got? Anything? IGH Properties. Thanks again for the $99.99. Ben. $99.99. Ben, I, I outspent the doctor. Real estate investors make more money than doctors anyways. I'm only running for Section 8 now, so if tenants don't pay, I'm still making money, baby. Well, you're a smart guy. You're doing exactly what I did. I mean, you know, that's the benefit. If you rent to Section 8 and you, you work with agencies and help low-income people and, and play with the program, then it pays off because you got security. You got the government backing you up, you know, guaranteeing you they're, they're going to uh, pay you that money. So I'm glad. I'm happy for you. I wish I was in your shoes because I'm not in those shoes. Shagad M, thanks for the $5. Hey, Ben, thanks for... For your insights, when do you think the real estate market will crash and when will be a good time to buy? You know, right now we're in uncharted waters. You know, everybody's holding on, but I'm telling you now, and everybody's got a prediction. And, and half the time, people predict the right thing. Why? Because you're either right or you're wrong. You got a 50% chance. It's like going, it's like when my wife goes to the roulette table. You know, she either plays the black or the red. Why? Because she knows 
she's got a 50-50 chance of winning. You know, so, um, you know, I'm predicting we don't know what the hell's going on now. The government's really pumped up the economy to keep it going, but I think it's inevitable. The banks aren't getting the money they need on their mortgages. Landlords aren't collecting rents right now. And, and you can't even blame the companies not paying them because they're not making no money. The movie theaters are suffering. The restaurants are suffering. The hotels are empty. You know, gyms are empty. And then, you know, they suffer. The landlord suffers. Everybody's suffering. Uh, I think that there's plenty of people, I'm one of them, ready to cash out. So, like I said... I'm putting properties on the market right now for mega millions less than I thought they were worth and what I would have took before this shit started. So now's a great time to go out and look for bargains, okay? It's always a good time to look for bargains, but now there's a lot of scared people out there. They just don't want to tell nobody they're scared. But I would be out there lowballing stuff because, like I said, you know, you put some money in front of somebody, these days, they're going to think twice. The stock market's going up. The stock market's going down. It's like a brand new boat. I had a wax and everything. Everything's working. The air conditioning's working. The generator's working. It'll cruise at 40 miles an hour. It's got two sleeping compartments. It's got a refrigerator. It's got a microwave. You can take a shower and use the bathroom in it. What the hell else do you want? All under 27, 8 feet. Made by formula. Come on, 30 grand, come on down to Clearwater, and let's make a deal. What else you got? Andres Estronza, thanks for the $5. I submitted an Ask Ben question. Looking for a tenant help on force major, I mean, major. Force majeure? Majeure claim. Force majeure. Is that, somebody looked that up. Is that some friggin' French word they came up with? Fuck you, force majeure. Force majeure, from my understanding, means that it was, uh, you know, the government or somebody major came in like a war, or government or something shut you down. I'm trying to fight that honestly with my tenants saying, listen, you know, it ain't force majeure. A virus doesn't classify for that. And let's make a deal, okay? I'm making deals, all right? So it's best to make a deal. If the tenant's trying to pull that, say, listen, it's, they ain't got no legal. My lawyers say they got no legal way to stand on it. If that was the case, there'd be a million lawsuits, billions of lawsuits. It's not fair to say that. It's best to we all buckle down together. Let's make a deal. What's fair to everybody? How much can you afford to pay? Let's put it on the back end. I've even given away some rent to some big shot clients. They squeezed me, you know, where I had to abate some rent. You know, it depends. And the answer was that the uh, people in the military police were way more satisfied with that than people in the Air Force. This was very puzzling because almost no one got promoted in the military police and everyone got promotions in the Air Force. So why would people be more satisfied in the military police? Well, the answer is that so many people got promoted in the Air Force that getting promoted was meaningless, right? Um, so few people got promoted. The, the median condition in the military police was not getting promoted. So if you didn't get promoted in the military police, you're like, well, no one is. It's fine. If you didn't get promoted in the, mil in the Air Force, oh, man, you 
devastated because everyone's getting promoted, right? And if you did get promoted, it's like, who cares? Everyone's getting promoted. So it's like, do you see that the, the, it's this totally inverted thing. You think that you're making life better by promoting everyone, but you're not. You're simply creating, you're simply altering the set of existing expectations. Um, so the, so yeah, I don't know whether you can, um, messing around with hierarchies is a very, 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 very tricky business, and it's probably better just to try to avoid them when you can. Thanks. Uh, go ahead. Hi, Malcolm. Thanks for coming in. Um, my question is a little bit around, I guess, your media diet. Obviously, as someone that writes a lot about social science, you have to go through a lot of academic journals, but what I was actually really interested to see was that you had a really, I think, cogent and, and fluent conversation with Bill Simmons, often on his blog, about sports and different topics. So I was wondering a little bit about your media diet outside the academic journal sphere and like how you kind of keep your mind and horizon broad yeah. across different topics. Well, I'm a huge sports fan, so there's an enormous amount of consumption of sports-related stuff. Uh, and um, particularly these days, I, I spend an enormous amount of time watching obscure European track and field meets on sort of live streams at two in the morning. Um, so there's that. And then, uh, but I think, you know, my strategy has always been, you can't, you have to very consciously differentiate yourself from where you think your professional peer group is going. Um, so the, to the extent that people are my, to the extent that people migrate to things that are accessible online, I feel I should migrate to things that are inaccessible online. So the value, or to the extent that people stop reading books and read, I feel I need to read more books. Um, so I've been what I've been trying to do is to kind of, it's why I spend a lot of time in actual physical libraries reading things in hard copy because there's a kind of a serendipity that you get when you, this is not in any way meant as a criticism, by the way, of search engines, for example, <laughs> which are incredibly useful, but they are, but they, you know, they also have limitations. They reward a certain kind of serendipity and they punish another kind of serendipity, right? And if you really wanna, if you're interested in serendipitous learning as I am. Much of what I uncover is uncovered serendipitously. You have to be a student of all of the different mechanisms of chance encounters with the unusual and the insightful. And so that means that not only do I spend a lot of time screwing around online on databases, but I also very, very consciously make sure that I go to physical libraries and walk through the stacks and even something as simple as you're interested in one book and then you go and you just look at all of the books that surround it, right? And the connections are not always, the connections are, there's, there are connections between them but it's a different kind of connection than they would be connected online. It's not a keyword connection, right? It's a thematic connection or it's a, so there's all these sorts of, you have to, be a student of these kinds of, um, of the of the 
different ways in which ideas cluster. Um, and so that, and I've been, I've thought a lot about that in recent years as a way of distinguishing myself from um, other journalists. Thank you. Hi, I have a quick question. In your last uh, book, Outliers, you spoke about uh, the advantages of, you know, whether it's being born in a certain year or having access to the earliest computers and stuff like that. And in this book, you have a whole new section called the disadvantages of being advantageous. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you see a contradiction or if how do you reconcile the two? Yeah. Well, I have several answers to that question. Um, uh, so there's clearly a difference between, the notion that I play with in this book is called desirable difficulty. And desirable difficulty is a class of, uh, of difficulties that have paradoxical outcomes that force you to do things that end up being advantageous. So um, there's, a whole, there's a whole school of, uh, of research around these people at UCLA called the Bjorks who try and uncover specific examples of desirable difficulties. A good one would be, for example, a simple one would be um, studying strategies. Uh, the, to the extent that you can make your studying process more difficult, you will retain more information. So the Bjorks have these beautiful data that says if you're learning um, something very complex, um, the best thing to do is to learn it in small chunks. So say I have three tasks that require mastery. I have two choices. I can master the first, master the second, and master the third, or I can break up all the learning into 10-minute chunks and do 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. They say do the latter, even though it's harder, even though you have to start over. So y'all are independent. But he controlled everything. So we're not independent. He's independent. Oh, <laughs> oh man. It's the difference. Did he sign other people to his label? We signed a couple people, but it never took off because, like I said, the infrastructure and understanding certain things to have a successful business, he only could take it so far without the right talent. He was running it like like street hustle. He had, he put people in place, but that wasn't their expertise. Imagine going to hire somebody that all they do all day is marketing and you put them on payroll. Imagine hiring somebody that builds companies for a living and you have them as your COO. Like, he didn't have any of that. He had Pookie, literally Pookie, right? <laughs> Pookie. His name Pookie. Pookie. No, it's real, like, that was his nickname, Pookie. <laughs> yeah, Pookie. You had freaking, like, you had the road manager, you had him, and you had my brother trying to run the whole label. There's mm. no way. And then I started on the social media stuff because I felt like it was lacking, right? So you, oh, hold on. So you, you were doing the social media for? Pretty Ricky. Pretty Ricky. Yeah. Because it was lacking. And yeah. um, and this is like Twitter, Facebook days. Yeah, I MySpace days. I, I made us number one on MySpace 
at the time, they had like 100 million users. I was the number one profile. Pretty Ricky was the number one profile. Oh, wow. Yeah. Dang. All right, so you when you feel the decline, what's going through, what's going on through your head when you're like, yo, this music stuff, it's not. Nah, one day he told us we was broke. We was like, we had no money. So like, that's it. We gotta figure out what we doing. How you, how you just one day, yo, we ain't got no money, y'all. And I know you're thinking, hold on, we sold. How many records? We doing shows all the time. $50,000 shows, just handing them 100% of the money. So are you questioning how? How did we go broke, Dad? He, he's not a dad you question. It's not one of those ball games. You know, it's not one of those like, yo, what you do? <laughs> <laughs> Go get Jazzy Jeff for <laughs> 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 those issues. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but like he just, he's just like, yo, is it? Like we ain't really, ain't nothing. And what's going on through your head? What are you feeling in your heart right now? I never like really cared about money. So to me, it wasn't nothing. It was when he kicked me out though. Keep me out of the house. We had a, a a debate about something, right? And we, With music, it was about somebody in the music industry, right? Are you, are you allowed to talk about it? I don't really want to talk about it, right. but it was somebody in the music industry. We was doing like it was like we was working on like a a huge record that we felt was huge, and it was another artist, but he wasn't really rocking with the artist. Got mad, like. Got upset, like, just kicked me out the house. I have no money, no clothes. I have nothing. It was me, uh, Jamie, and my son. Wow. How long ago was that? That was, uh, I don't know. I don't know when that was. I think, what, 2012 or something like that? Wow. You rock with Jamie for a minute. Shout out to Jamie. Yeah. I like Jamie. Man. She's <laughs> yeah. like a, she just, she's so sweet, but she's a powerhouse at the same time. You can tell she just has a heart for people, man. So mm-hmm. shout out to Jamie. That's amazing. So he kicked, so y'all was in the house and he kicked y'all out the house. Out. I ain't had no wheels, no money, with his no clothes. Yep, out. And was that the end of the relationship? It went sour after that. You know, it went sour mm-hmm. because it was just like, for real? He 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 offered me to come back. But at that point, I was like, nah. And what were, you, what were your plans? So Jamie's mom told me I could come stay, with a, stay out of the house for six months. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I went there, and that's the time I got that call from Maddie J, right when I got kicked out. Really? Mm-hmm. So Maddie calls you and said, yo, you can make money on Twitter. Let's make this money. Mm-hmm. He was getting a referral fee. That's when they was giving out the iPads and all that. Mm-hmm. But it was a blessing, you know, because I wouldn't have been doing what, I was, what I'm doing right now in terms of monetization because I was already 
you know, kind of dipping and dabbing in it. But when he told me that, I was like, oh, what's this? And then I was, that was game over. Mm. At, at that point, I was like, oh, I got to go hard. Not only I ain't got no money. Moms, moms let me live for free in a little room Jamie grew up in. Mm. I went in a little den on the little computer. And they had to beg me to come to sleep. Like, I was sleeping probably three, four hours a Working. day, if, if that. You know what's so cool, too? Because you have the, I mean, you have, like, the habit of work ethic. So whether mm-hmm. it's the music, practicing every single day, mm-hmm. if you don't have that to work towards, whatever else you put your hands on, you're going to, like, give it that same intensity. And and it was kind of a blessing that I didn't have to worry about money with him. He handled all the money. So my mom was always on focus on the growth and the craft and everything I needed to do to perfect. So once I kind of perfected it, I knew the money was going to come. And I didn't have to worry about it because he was handling it. So it kind of put me in a position where before you guys got like into a relationship relationship or was it the relationship first and then you guys teamed up together so it was the relationship first and um you know part of what brings us together um are our commonalities so we both have an interest and a background in asia and that's the region that we were working. So we were in different offices, but the same region. And so we both had, um, so I was, uh, I lived in Japan from the ages of two to six. And I spoke Japanese when we lived there. And then we moved back to the States after that. So I had this, you know, my like, my like pivotal, my growing years were in Japan. So I had this, really? yeah. So I had this really strong What were you doing connection. in Japan? My parents, my my dad's Venezuelan, so my mom met my dad in Fort Lauderdale, moved with him to Venezuela. I was born there, and they converted to Buddhism, a Buddhism that the sect is, um, it's the Nichiren, uh, Nichiren Shoshu Buddhism, and from Japan. So they had friends who had already gone to like explore this Buddhism more in Japan. And my parents were trying to figure out how to get there. My dad found a school that did, um, had a master's in architectural photography. So he enrolled in the school. He like learned Japanese, enrolled in architectural photography school, and they just took us. Well, I was just me at the time. So yeah, my, my mom, I'm two, and my mom goes halfway across the world and they they like adventure. That's my super parents. cool. Yeah, <laughs> and you learned English and Japanese. I mean, you were obviously old enough yes. to already know English, but you learned Japanese at a very young age. Yes. Yeah, so Japanese, Spanish, and English were my first three languages, which was interesting when I moved back because I moved to Saint Petersburg, and um, I my second grade teacher <laughs> tried to hold me. No, my first grade, my first grade teacher tried to hold me back because she said that knowing so many languages made me slow, <laughs> which, you know, that's, it was 1986. That's okay. Um, but my mom pushed back, and I ended up in gifted class instead. <laughs> so, um, 
each their own. Exactly. <laughs> but ever since then, I was, you know, when we got to the agency, you know, I, I want, I had Spanish. I was like, I can pick Japanese right back up. I had enough of it. And that was my interest. And then Andy has Chinese and his, um, he has a degree in, uh, East Asian studies. And so we had this common interest in that region and in working the targets in that region. So it was natural for us to eventually end up working the same targets. I don't think we were ever at the same time in the same office, but that doesn't mean that we weren't working the same targets, if that makes sense. Like, um, for example, they'll have a regional office that will do Asia but then they'll have another office that does a subject matter like counterproliferation, mm-hmm. right? So you can be, have two people, one in a regional office, one in counterproliferation, and then they overlap because counterproliferation happens everywhere in the world. So that's how it ended up happening. And where are you guys at at this point? Like, where is the CIA headquarters? Like, that you guys, where's the building that you guys are working at? So we were in Langley at the main okay, okay. headquarters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we were there for quite some time before, you know, doing TDYs and things like that. So. And how long was it before you guys actually went out into the field and went to Asia together? So we... And where did you guys go to China? Uh, we... I, I you don't can't think, say? Yeah, we can't say the exact location. Oh, Asia. Okay. <laughs> Asia, okay. Um, but we did a number of TDYs separately. Um, so we had started traveling for the agency almost as soon as we joined. Oh, okay. Right. Like him going, you know, I would go one country, he would go another country at different times as the office, as the mission dictated. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, eventually I, I knew that I wanted to be assigned overseas, um, for a longer period of time. So I started, you know, just putting a little bug in my manager's ear, like I will go literally anywhere. Um, I was like, Ulaanbaatar, I don't care. Like just send me overseas. Um, I wanted the excitement of being in the field because it's the work is different, right? Like headquarters work is slower, field work like you are on the ground real time like stuff happens you know like um where we were there was a like a small terrorist attack while we were assigned there you know and I'm like it's action like stuff is happening real time like I'm working with the foreign service there um you know it's just incredible so we I think we were together I think we were together three years um, before we were sent out for a long assignment. And that was, it was amazing. What is it about, about Asia and those cultures that excites you or interests you? So I think a lot of it has to do with my childhood. Just the fact that I because my first memories are of Japan Mm. and because my parents are Buddhist. So even when we came back, that culture continued. Um, it's just comfortable for me. I like 
So I, I definitely feel American. I am definitely Americanized, but I also have this very strong, like I understand the, the culture of putting your community before yourself, which is very Asian, right? Like Americans mm. are very independent. Um, you usually put yourself before others. But in Asia, like when, like when coronavirus started, these, you know, really cool gadgets and everybody knows how to do Kung Fu. <laughs> like everybody knows five languages. Um, you know, everybody was cool and good looking and it was really I'm I'm a huge fan of James Bond, so I really was like, this is the agency. Once I got there, I realized it's it's a diverse place. And one of the biggest things that really hit me when I got to the agency is how many different jobs there actually are. So all the movies are about the exciting case officer, right? The James Bond, um, the Ethan Hunt. But you get there and there are HR people. There are people who clean the waste baskets. There are, you know, cooks. There are analysts. There are mechanics. There are graphic designers. There are... Really? Yes. Like, there's a print shop there. People work that, you know, like there are IT people. So it's just like any other... It was... It was insane, like, how it, cool it was to walk in and to see the seal, and you have to get past the guards with your special badge, and all of that felt super cool. But you walk in, and it's cubicles, <laughs> and people doing, like, a plethora of different jobs, like any other business, like any other government organization to keep it running. You just happen to work on things that are super cool that most people don't know about. And that's what I enjoyed the most was kind of having this insider insight into world events that I was already interested in. And then I had an even, even more of an insider perspective where I was like, this is really cool and I can affect things in a way, even if a small way that nobody will ever know about. And for me being behind the scenes is huge. Like I love being behind the scenes. Like, affecting somebody that nobody ever knows I even touched. That's that makes me feel good, right? Mm-hmm. I see the end result and I'm like, boom, I did that. Great. So now when you got there, did you get to sort of choose the path that you took or did they do that for you? So in the interview process um that I went through, um I was uh I was going for, they have different tracks. Mm -hmm. So I was going for a certain track and there were like three different job descriptions that I could go for. Um, I picked one, I entered, I decided shortly after they have a, a really long orientation period and then a really long training period. So I decided, um, I originally was a desk officer and I decided that targeting was a better fit for me. When I entered in 2007, targeting was brand new. They had just started it. It used to be that case officers themselves would do that kind of work. They would be the ones that found targets and figured out how to approach them, but it really wasn't efficient for them to be doing that. They really need to be out in the field meeting people. So they created an entire 
job description for people who specialized in finding who they were going to meet. So then all they have to do is spend an hour with me and I say, this is the guy, here's his photo, here's his family, here's everything we know about him. He's going to be at this place at this time. He likes this kind of stuff. Go, you know, go meet him and be friends. If they spend an hour with me, it saves them a ton of time. Um, I can go much more in depth because I'm interested um, than the case officer would be able to because they have a million other things going on. So, um, yeah, so for me, I was able to change tracks during the training period and then be certified as a targeter. Okay. And then how did you meet Andrew initially? <laughs> were, you, were you guys both training or? We were in orientation together. So they enter everybody, no matter what their track is, um, together. And then that's when they do all the HR stuff, right? Like, here's how your health insurance works. Mm. And here, how's your, you know, how your paycheck works. <laughs> like, Make sure you sign up for medical benefits. All those, the intro stuff um, that you don't think about happening at the CIA. <laughs> um, so we met, I think I, I noticed him after the first week and he was always, uh, seated between two females. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I decided, wow. yeah, I saw him from a distance and I was like, I'm going to meet that guy. And so it took me about three weeks to get a seat next to him and start up a conversation um, and he was great. As soon as I introduced myself, he was like, do you want to go out on a date Wednesday? I was like, yes, yes, I would. Wow. Thank you very much. Yeah, he was great. So um, the bummer for him was I was dealing with um, an anxiety disorder at the time that had just kind of, I'd had it for about six months undiagnosed. Um, so I was having all this anxiety constantly and it was making me really physically ill and um, so he asked me out on the date. The night of the date, he called me to ask directions to my house. And I was like, I was throwing up. <laughs> I was like, I was oh, like, I can't no. go. He's like, are you sh like, do you want coffee instead? Do you want? He kept trying, trying, you know, and I'm like, I just can't. And that was the very end of our orientation. I was like, I can never see this guy again. Like, he makes me throw up. I have too much anxiety. I like him too much. I was like, I, this sucks. Like, I'm never going to see him again. So then we spent, like, I think a, a month working on the same floor in our offices, completely avoiding each other until I bumped into him at a staff meeting. And then I was like... It was, How old were you? I was 27. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was intense, and I was. It, he was a very patient man because we had a lot of tea dates. <laughs> when mm. I was like, I'm really nauseous right now. <laughs> like, you make me so nervous. <laughs> now, now this like it, it it parlayed into you guys eventually working together, like right as a team. Yes. And that was that like before because your habits create your character, and your character determines your destiny. As we learn from our mutual mentor, you know what I'm saying? Like, success will take you there, but your character, your gifts and talents will take you there, but your character will keep you there. But it all starts right here inside the mind, so we got to have a strong belief system. Because I remember when we used to school, you would see the little posters that say, if you believe it, you can achieve it. Bro, that's facts. 
that was a bar. We thought it was corny. We thought it was cliche, but that's real. That's real. So when I began to believe I could do these type of numbers, when I began to believe I could travel the world, bro, my wife looking for homes down in South Africa. I was like, boo, come on, boo. She's like, oh, you don't believe? I was like, I had to check myself like, bro, don't be a hypocrite. Like, do you believe? People got to believe. Mm-hmm. And so to everybody that's watched us, everybody that's listening right now, like, I need you to believe in that power, that purpose, that potential, that society. You God has an amazing plan for your life if you believe. What do I look like trying to, trying to determine where my life going to go? I ain't that smart. I ain't that talented. People talk about a five to 10 year plan. That makes sense. And it sounds good. But for me, I'm not even smart enough to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Right? That's why I wake up at 5 a.m. and I seek the face of God. Like, what you want me to do? What you think is the best play? And then I run that play. Like, that's how people can go to the next level. So it starts with a belief system. And then you got to put that work in every single day. Because my brother Brian, not here no more. And if he was here, he'd be putting that work in. So I felt what I look like feeling tired, what I look like feeling lazy, what I look like talking about what's not comfortable to me. Comfort don't pay bills. You know what I'm saying? So we got to be willing to put that work in every single day. So let's go get in. Let's be great. Listen, can't close it out no better than that, man. Do me a favor. Make sure you follow Jeremy Anderson. Okay, shoot him. My team would literally, you'll bring us on, you'll give us our retainer, and we would literally make somebody a quarter million dollars in a month off of like a $5,000 ad spend. And we would consistently do that to the point where I was just like, yo, why are we making everybody else all this money? We're only getting this. I don't really want to partner with them. So how about I just continue the clients we have, keep those going, and let me focus on my own products, my own my own hire myself as a as a client yeah. and um and then focus on partnerships with different influencers or celebrities and things like that but only really pick the right people so that birthed the company that was our technologies where we built out the technology but now we're gonna do this same structure on testing out hundreds of products, seeing what float to the top. Once we know what floats to the top, we're going to take that and we're going to pick an influencer and we're going to match them up with a product. And we're going to make the next Kali Jenner with the next Kali, Kali Cosmetics. And then the next component to that is called Social Seed, where we change the way that your favorite, that your most um, we change the way that fans support their favorite influencer. Okay. So we're going to make it where <clears throat> your top 1,000 fans could invest in your product before launch. Dang. Goodness gracious. Okay, first off, so you partner with influencers. I just got over 100,000, so I'm telling you. You're you influencer. I'm technically you influencer right you, you there? So you we, we, can, we can put something together. We can partner. You know, I got to run it through the team. <laughs> <laughs> that means uh, I'm going to need that retainer. Regardless, brother. <laughs> Not ours. <laughs> no. Cool we are. Give me that retainer. I, I respect it, though, because if we can, you make a quarter million dollars in a month. Like, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, it's easy. But you'll be surprised how easy it is. People think once you have the data, you can do whatever you want with that data. 
you can literally take lookalike audience, which is basically when somebody buy your product, you can have a hundred people that purchase. And what it tells Facebook is, hey, Facebook, take all that information, they put it all in one little bundle, and then they see what all this, what all attributes do they have that's similar. And then they go and look at your interests, see what you're interested in, who are you following, and they go follow, they go find more people that look just like that. So if you like Pretty Ricky, David Shans, and Jordan shoes, and you purchase from Spectacular, then nine out of 10, if you find people that like those three things, nine out of 10, they're going to like me too. Gotcha, gotcha. So they'll put that 100 people in a bucket and go find a million more people that's just like that. And once you find a million more people like that and you put your same as that product right in front of them, sales skyrocket. Goodness gracious. Yeah, I wanna, I, I, I wanna, I wanna like go, go back, and then get back to where we are. But, pretty Ricky, mm-hmm. how old were you when y'all started? And how did y'all start? How did y'all? Pretty Ricky, are y'all real friends or somebody put that together? Put, put y'all together. Nah, we family, man. Like real blood family, or Diamond is my bro brother. Baby Blue, I keep calling my government. My bad. <laughs> so, okay. so Blue is your blood brother. Yeah, your blood brother. Yeah, same, same yeah. parents, same mom, same dad. Oh wow! And then Slick is my cousin, and then Pee Wee knew him for so long. We call him a brother, but you know that's a childhood friend. Mm-hmm. So we already had like chemistry. I literally never wanted to be a rapper. Really, I got forced to be a rapper. What did you want to do before this whole... I, I just wanted to be an entertainer. I used to just be in a dance group, dancing on stage, having fun. Like, And it's great we, we did the interview in Miami, mm-hmm. right? Because in Miami, they call it dancing, booty shaking. That's what they call it, booty mm-hmm. shaking. And that's all I cared about was dancing on stage. I used to dance in front of 3,000 Fans, uh, they call it the Omni, the National Guard, Martin Luther King Parade. I was always on stages. So my dad used to see me. Hold on, you were always on stages doing what? Dancing. I used to be in the dance group. Like dancing so you were on in the dance group? Yeah. So what this Talent shows, this dance hobby. groups. This is just, this ain't something you just like to do. Like you were actually competing. Yeah, we compete. Yeah, we did all that. We so did. how'd you put the dance group together? Were, were your brother, was your, was, was Pretty Ricky a dance group first? or No, so, you was doing? so it was something I was doing. And right. then Blue seen what I was doing and he jumped in. He was in the dance group mm-hmm. too. He wasn't the best, but you know, he could, he, <laughs> he had a little solo that he could do. He could make the crowd get on their right, feet. Right. So we was in a group called Baby Forever Nasty. Baby Forever Nasty. Yeah. That was the name of the group? That was the name of the group. And we was all, like, in in middle school. We was all in middle school. And even elementary, fifth grade. Because the the main group name was Forever Nasty. And they they was the group that was teaching us. So we was baby Forever Nasty. How old was the Forever Nasty group? They was, like, they was in high school. And some was out of high school, like just out of high school. 
forever nasty. And then y'all's baby. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So what did they end up doing? Anything? Do you know do you still know those guys, those people? Yeah, actually, one of the main people that taught me how to do dance routines and everything literally reached out to me the other day and asked me to mentor them. Really? Yeah, that, it wins. 360. Interesting. You paying me after 30 days, right? You right. pay me that 30. I'm the government. I'm going yeah. to pay them that 32. I ain't coming on my pocket. The government is going to fund everything. Why would I prepay anybody, right? If the government says I'm on that 30, I'm putting Joe Schmo over here on that 32. So that's something you need to go negotiate with the contractor up front. They know. Because some people be wanting a deposit to do yeah, some work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll say, oh, you know, Especially if it's I'm renting like porta potties, hand washing stations, they'll say, "Oh, I need a ten percent deposit." Well, 2011, I ain't had it right, so I had to communicate. Hey, this is gonna be a federal government contract. Yeah. Work with me here. You gonna get your money? It's coming from, and that's okay. That's gotcha. the key, man. If you can't speak to people, I mean, they won't shake and move. They'll just go their own Gosh. SOPs. Now, when I have the actual contract in hand. That's like liquid currency. Yeah. Yeah, look, it's real. Yeah, I'm going to leverage it. This is real. Look what I got going on. And then they, you know, jump in bed with me at work. Gotcha. Give me the biggest issue, the headache, man, because it can't be as sweet as it sounds. It sounds sweet. (laughs) And I'm thinking like, dang, maybe I can get in. This is the biggest headache, man. In the beginning, I don't care what type of solicitation I've ever gone for. The headaches are making sure the subcontractors get me back their quotes in a timely manner. Remember, I'm on a time schedule. I have to have this thing submitted by May 30th. Maybe I just found the contract May the 21st. So I'm calling, calling, calling these subcontractors trying to get quotes, and they lollygagging, and then I missed my deadline. That's the hugest headache. It's not a headache once they already got the contract and they already working because they want to keep working. Half of these companies don't have a lot of work. Mm -hmm. So now when you're giving them a quote-unquote guaranteed steady four- or five-year contract, man, them doing the work is not a big deal. It's in the beginning stages, me getting that timing down or getting that uh, quote to me. Because right. I got to submit my paperwork on time. That's the gotcha. big, that's a huge headache. Gotcha. It's huge, yeah. And so how, you have employees working for you? Now, now. And what do they do? Search one for- person sends the invoice. I know that. <laughs> yeah, one person sent all that's the invoices. That's why the first person you hire, listen, I don't want to send these invoices anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm done with all that. So the invoicing, they're looking for the solicitations. I get sole source a lot now, though. So the government actually calls my company and says, hey, can you provide this product or this service? Oh, really? Yeah. Also, oh, once you build that relationship with the government, yeah. you want I mean, I got over 40 contracts, been doing it since 2008. Like, they, my, my company's name is solidified. So they just call my company and say, hey, can you provide us this product or this service? So I got somebody to run that, mm-hmm. the emails. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it's only, I only got like four people on my team. All I need. Are you versed in the in like the municipality and the state as well, or you just uh, teach you teach straight yeah, federal, federal? Straight federal. I know the crazy thing is I know nothing about the state and local. 
nothing. People come to me all the time. Well, I got this state contract. I'm like, I'm not your guy. I know nothing about it. it I don't like even want to get into rules it. To apply, though. But they they have like different certifications. You got to get this. You got to get a, a DB. I don't even know the stuff. It's it's just different. Mm-hmm. It's just different. 